0: Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater
1: purpose?
2: The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip.
3: Welcome to Extended Clip, episode eighty-one. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill.
0: I'm Doctor Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White,
3: and calling in all the way from Toronto, a not yet deceased uh, former podcaster. I think that's what I came up with, uh, Ethan Vetsby. Thank you for joining us today.
4: Yeah, I'm just sort of a public intellectual at this point. Okay, I think
3: I, that actually might be the most befitting title.
0: Yeah, that's why I started a podcast because I was like, I need to, I need a platform for my public <laughs> intellectualism. So. <laughs>
3: Uh, The double feature that Ethan brought to us is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea uh, by Richard Fleischer from 1954 and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Stephen Norrington picture from 2003. Now, uh, the the title of the double feature that you brought to me poses a question, and I'd like to ask that question. What What is, Sne- what is steampunk to you, Ethan?
4: Well, I mean, steampunk to me is, I, I pr- primarily associate it with the fashion. I think of, you know, top hats, canes, goggles, maybe belts of some kind. Essentially, the things I imagine—everyone pe- is decked out at one of you know Elon Musk's cello-like orgies. But <laughs> uh, I'm sort of am intrigued by steampunk on film uh, because I'm I'm particularly intrigued by a certain type of film, which is the doomed to fail blockbuster.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: and I feel like if you look at these types of films, uh, they're almost all steampunk. And I'm intrigued by why they keep getting made, essentially. (laughs) And what is what is what what is the appeal? Because I feel like if you want to go to, not the very beginning, because if you want to go to the very beginning of steampunk on film, you can look at early cinema, like A Trip to the Moon is basically Mm -hmm. steampunk. Metropolis is steampunk. But when I think of steampunk, what I think of is the giant mechanical spider in Wild Wild West. Mm -hmm. And that's also, you know, a notorious bomb, yet it didn't, you know, it didn't stop any. It didn't stop Van Helsing. It didn't stop the Golden Compass. It didn't stop Stardust. It didn't stop the Brothers Grimm. Uh, it just, just steampunk. Steampunk just keeps on. You know, just keeps on coming on. And I'm, I thought maybe we needed to interrogate this. And also, uh, with the the recent passing of Sir Sean Connery, I think like everyone on Twitter was joking about how. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, at the time I remember being referred to as LXG, uh, was his his final film. And I sort of weirdly wanted an excuse to revisit it because so many people were talking about it. But I knew uh, it would be like when I I tried revisiting the aforementioned Wild Wild West a few years ago and actually turned it off after 20 minutes (laughs) because I realized I had some modicum of self-respect and could do other things. But I wanted I wanted to make sure I somehow watched Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen from beginning to end, and I needed, I think, a podcast as that excuse to do so.
3: Yeah, I think uh LXG is definitely a pod exclusive. There there's no way I'm sitting through all hundred and ten <laughs> minutes of that if I'm not being recorded uh directly afterwards. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean thank you for uh, bringing the the steampunk movement to the podcast <laughs> uh, J- JT. how do you as the most fashionable, you know, widely voted upon uh, the most fashionable member of the pod, how do you take to these uh, accessories to this clothing?
2: Um, I mean it's the most like terrible aesthetic I feel like I could possibly think of. There are like guys, I, I mean like contemporary steampunk guys. I don't think I've ever met one, but it's like the cabby hat kind mm. of a guy. They have, like, a like a full winter coat on all the time, even in the summer. Like, a leather, like, bookcase, not a backpack. Um, but, yeah, it's a weird aesthetic that, like, I don't know, seems like it has always been, like, particularly unfashionable.
1: Mm.
0: I feel like I see less and less of those guys, too. Like, I, my old film school I went to, like, a good, like, there's a Doctor Who TARDIS thing outside in the parking lot. So, it attracted a lot of those guys. And, um... <laughs> And, like, I, as the years went, I feel like I saw less and less. And, you know, in a way, I'm kind of, you know, I think cyberpunk's kind of the cool one now. People, mm. you know, heavily favor cyberpunk. And, I mean, I, I don't really like steampunk. When I think of steampunk, I think of, like, clocks in, like, <laughs> items. Like, just the item <laughs> that has, a, like, a clock on it. Like, a, yeah. a hat with a clock and a guy with a mustache.
3: Sure. I also <laughs> just remembered uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies oh, uh, yeah. with uh, Robert yeah. Downey Jr., And those are, uh, are those Guy Ritchie joints? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, those Those are just like, I don't know, the general silver gray sludge of that aesthetic is something that has haunted me from my childhood on. Like, those movies, I just can't even watch them. I don't know what it is. Uh, The the sheen just washes over me, I guess.
4: I mean, there are examples of auteur steampunk. There's, I mean, Hugo uh, by Martin Scorsese is arguably steampunk. Uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige is kind of uh, steampunk. Yeah. Uh, The aforementioned The Brothers Grimm is uh, steampunk. (laughs) Yeah, now that now
3: that I've come out as like hardcore pro tenant, I I can't be reminded of the prestige on the podcast or I might lash out and say some things that, you know, go against my hardline pro Nolan stance.
4: And I- I think, though, if I did have to, like, make a wild guess at why steampunk really emerged in Hollywood movies in the late 90s into the 2000s, I think it's, one, the influence of anime, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, like, Miyazaki films being kind of steampunkish, and, two, the influence of Jean-Pierre Jeunet, uh, the unfortunate influence, you could say, <laughs> though uh, though, Alien Resurrection is pretty sweet. But uh, yeah just like when you look at something like Jonah Hex you're like why who thought this was a good idea <laughs> <laughs> No hex heads
3: in this room anyone see that one in theaters Isn't
0: I thought um I'm forgetting didn't like the guys who make crank didn't they write that script or something Neville Dean and Taylor I might be wrong but.
4: I believe they I believe they did and I believe the tour behind Horton here's a who directed it. Wow.
0: <laughs> so there's an inkling of a chance it could get reclaimed. I, there's a yeah.
4: <laughs> I am curious it's only 87 minutes or something, you know. That's that's pretty appealing.
3: I don't think I've seen a single Jean Pen- Pierre genet film. <laughs> Let's call this Jean Penet. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh What what is the influence from? Like the, I remember Delicatessen at the 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 unfortunate uh, former venue. The Cinna family. They they played a teaser for Delicatessen for like a year straight. But that's really all I know about him.
4: I think City of Lost Children is kind of the. Uh... The ultimate uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet title, I guess. I actually haven't seen it. I've just seen stills and have oh, okay. gathered that it's steam. <laughs> <laughs> gathered that it's steam. I I considered watching it uh, in preparation for this, but I uh, decided to watch Brothers Grimm instead. So I, I think you probably made I, uh, the right
3: choice there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So but, let's get into. Uh, oh no! Go ahead. Actually.
4: I, actually, I didn't ha- really have anything to say.
3: Okay, that's fine. Um, that's most of the time how we feel on this podcast. <laughs> 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, adaptation of the popular uh, classic novel by Jules Verne, uh, directed by Richard Fleischer, the first Disney film to be distributed by the their arm, uh, Buena Vista, one of the many, many arms of the Disney industrial complex. Uh, in extra extra wide 2.55 to 1 although i think all the transfers pretty much just crop it to 239 other than like the opening titles uh but this is uh you know classic they don't make them like that anymore uh giant widescreen epic how how did you guys take to it
0: you know i at first i was kind of i was kind of with it i was enjoying the You know, the aggressive Kirk Douglas swag and whatnot, and, you know, get ready for these widescreen compositions and, like, kind of, you know, a lot of good detail in the production design. But I felt like uh, as time past, I kind of uh, grew less and less interested. Yeah.
3: I always have this built-in respect for Kirk Douglas because the special education wing of my high school was called the Kirk Douglas School. <laughs>
1: wow.
3: <laughs> so I've always just like, I always just have a built-in sense of respect but, uh, and I, I think he comes through on this one. Uh, he He's almost childlike in song, you know, when he's singing with the, uh, the sailors in the oh, whale of a
2: tale! There was Typhoon Tessie Men are on the coast of Java when we kissed I. Yeah,
3: like which Fulton it does get into the kind of Disney feeling. Like it is definitely, uh, I guess, what would become, you know, the Disney fied version of like a classic Hollywood epic in a way.
4: Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, I think he's very, I don't know if this was an intentional influence, but he. I feel like he's styled to very much look like Gene Kelly throughout the film, specifically oh, in okay. An American I can see in Paris. That. Mm-hmm. With the the kind of the tight the tight sailor shirt and the kind of his his uh, muscles always on display, and his kind of wily, swaggy physical acting, so to speak
3: and we've talked about the art of the uh, harpoon on this podcast before with uh, terror in a Texas town and Kirk Douglas is a master harpooner named uh, Ned Land but unfortunately his harpooning skills are not like on display very much in this film yeah, like, there's this, so, it's like I kind of wish I got some more harpoon action to be completely honest it's no
0: American sniper right you Yeah. Know, if, <laughs> this is the Chris Kyle of his day with the harpoon you know you want to see a couple more scenes of him in action Yeah, at least for my taste <laughs> <laughs> um. yeah I don't know it was like it rides that Disney line
2: of like clean and like safe like in a weird interesting way that I was curious like going this far back mm-hmm. um, for a Disney film if it would do that I mean I think there's a lot more like death and like lives at stake than there normally are in like a Disney picture mm-hmm. but like the musical number while well, I did really like it. I, I love a sea shanty <laughs> and I'm on board with that it's just like I don't know the Disney bullshit it just being too long like the charm of uh, James Mason and Kirk Douglas can only do so much <laughs> but they they both are they're they're both snacks in yeah. this film looking really good.
3: <laughs> uh
4: Ethan ha- had you seen this one before? No, in fact, I kind of picked it because I've been looking for an excuse to watch it. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, a very, I'm a really big fan of Richard Fleischer. Um, I think more his Journeyman type films, the the kind of the Violent Saturdays, Armored Car Robberies, Boston Stranglers, those are kind of more where I'm at.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but I think why this is an instructive double bill, this and LXG, is I think – if you look at the films side by side, you see how much worse blockbuster filmmaking has gotten. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I again, I would put this on the lower end of the Fleischer filmography and I I kind of agree with everyone here that it's way too long and kind of boring. Uh, 126 minutes, one of my least favorite runtimes. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean it could be 157, you know, but <laughs> um but it does have sort of this still solid classical storytelling and filmmaking that makes it pretty watchable for the most part. And uh, I, I sort of actually what it reminded me of in terms of its sort of respectable boredom is I sort of feel like it sets a template for the Bond movies in a weird, uh, weird way, particularly Thunderball. Which, um, I mean, I think people have kind of bagged on that movie for a while for being pretty boring. But it's funny to think about Thunderball specifically that that was – I mean, I think it made – what would be in 2020 dollars like $800 million or something. And so presumably it was a four-quadrant hit where just – Five-year-old, six-year-old children were taken to see this movie and just had to sort of sit there still through, I don't know, James Bond moving through a bunch of different offices in the Florida Keys or whatever, which, you know, (laughs) is most of that movie. The the, The big underwater set piece is like 10 minutes near the end. The rest is, you know. Boring, mm-hmm. and I, I imagine it was kind of some somewhat similar uh, when this movie came out. That kids would kind of you know twiddle their thumbs, but you know children were well behaved, and then you just you know you end on the high po- p- high point of the fight with the octopus, and you're you're satisfied with that, really.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, thinking about this um, this movie's kind of big underwater scene where you know the crew goes hunting underwater. I think it's so funny that kind of like the spectacle of animals is them just like wrangling them and like putting them in nets (laughs) and like just like exporting them back to the submarine. Very like... I don't know. You usually get some nature documentary tier filmmaking when, uh, when, that, happens, to, when yeah. that happens, but no, we're getting some, some straight production. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly. Uh, for those who don't know what the film is about, um, well, it seems that a sea monster is attacking ships, but it is actually a retro futuristic submarine, that of uh, Captain Nemo. And Adventures are had from the depths of the ocean to the penal colonies of the land and everywhere in between. Uh, James Mason as Captain Nemo, I I do really like this performance. Uh, I, I think I'm just a sucker for pretty much everything that James Mason does, even if I don't like the movie on the whole.
4: Is it because he was one of the influences for Stewie Griffin? Oh, I could. I, I think that is absolutely why.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I just watched Barry Lyndon for the first time, and uh-huh. I, all I could think about um,
4: was Stewie.
1: Was
0: Stewie because <laughs> of Lord Bullington. I was like, this guy's oh, a total yeah. Stewie. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
4: well, they did those. Remember they did those those Star Wars parody movies? Family yeah, Guy, that yeah. Like release on they should have done like a just Kubrick movies. <laughs> I, they
3: totally should have. There's a late Family Guy episode. I don't know if you've seen it, Ethan, where it's split into three parts, and each is a different uh, parody of a different popular director. Oh, yeah. It's like one part is Tarantino, one part is Wes Anderson, and one part is Michael Bay. And it's about as visually accurate as you would assume. But, you know, the fact that they're still going for it. Uh, <laughs> I think that episode came out like two years ago. You know, good for them. Uh, we, we had an idea of doing the three original Star Wars movies with those three Family Guy movies on pod a while back. But I think that would just be too exhausting. I, I don't think I could do it.
2: I just would hate to come out with the take that the Family Guy movies are better than the originals.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. 2018 is figuring out that the prequels are better than the original trilogy. 2021 is figuring out the Family Guy parodies are better.
0: I mean, at least they're funnier. You could say that, <laughs> it's right? It's true. It's quite
1: true. You don't
3: think 3 POs just a crack up? <laughs> um, I love when he complains. It's very funny to me. Uh, But back to 20,000 Leagues, I feel like we're uh, not paying enough attention to this very uh, fun movie. Uh, I I do like the design of the port town, I I guess, of San Francisco, which is not how San Francisco usually looks in movies. But, you know, it's uh, the 1800s, I guess. But it it is really, like, interesting set design that almost looks like a Western town. Uh, And through and through, like, even though you said it's not, like, nature documentary footage of the underwater stuff... The spectacle really does keep going like the whole time. It just kind of runs dry because it never reaches like that peak level of 50s Hollywood spectacle, you know? Mm
4: -hmm. It it is worth noting that this, at the time, was the most expensive film of all time. Crazy. And uh, similar to the way Avatar 2, which will probably be set uh, predominantly underwater, (laughs) will be the most expensive film of all time, I imagine, whenever it comes out. Uh, I I wonder if that's some kind of – if just going underwater is what drives uh, all the budgets.
3: Damn, didn't they bear didn't they drop Optimus Prime in the water at the end of one of the Transformers? <laughs>
0: that must have cost like a billion dollars. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, because that's the thing. They have to fetch him out for the yeah. next movie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: the adventures that they have range from like pretty boring stuff to uh, running through ships and stuff like that, which any time the submarine runs through ships, it is pretty cool. Um Peter Laurie here is like Like, I like Peter Lorre as a character actor. I think anyone who likes old Hollywood movies does, but kind of not doing all that much here, I guess.
4: Old him is kind of sad. I find old Peter Lorre a little hard to – just a little sad to watch. I don't know. He doesn't age well. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's worth noting, too, that essentially uh, Richard Fleischer had kind of – this was also something that's sort of analogous to modern blockbuster filmmaking – is that this was Fleischer's first real kind of big production. He had been kind of uh, working in the B-level and then was promoted, you know, with the most expensive movie of all time at this time. I guess you could say it's sort of analogous to now, uh, but probably, I don't know, now, like you just make one Sundance movie, then you're doing a $250 million movie, so there's no real even kind of middle ground armored car robbery type movies to hone your teeth on. I think another interesting thing to bring up about this movie is that there have been many attempts to remake it, or I guess you could just say readapt the original Jules Verne source material. Uh, Mick G was was attached to it for a while. He wanted Will Smith as Captain Nemo. Uh, David Fincher was famously attached to it for years, uh, and he left the film because Disney didn't want to cast Channing Tatum. I I don't know in which role (laughs) Uh, and and, uh, none other than Brian Singer had also been attached after uh, that uh, you know, whatever can put money in his pocket. I support Uh, (laughs) clearly, clearly there's something about this story that is, that is universal. And I mean, we should note though that, Probably why there is room to adapt this again is because this is I mean, I if I'm actually gonna get into what's specific to the source material, which I've not read, I'm gonna have to like just keep consulting the, the Wikipedia page for it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like Jordan Peterson at the Zizek debate pulling a <laughs> the wiki page for communism or whatever. But uh <laughs> I mean the big the big difference I guess is that the role of Captain Nemo is whitewashed in this and essentially Jules Verne was kind of making a uh making him into a figure of anti-colonialism and that's something that's referenced throughout the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic and uh is again kind of you know that source material is obviously bastardized there, mm-hmm. so that's maybe another uh, good common ground between these two films is bastardized source material.
3: Yeah, doesn't Nemo refer to that penal colony as the white man's
0: grave? Yeah.
4: <laughs> So, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's
0: that's the question I had on my mind. It was like, was James Mason like a white slave, and, and, like and, and like and he's like taking his angst out on like other ships or something. <laughs> hey,
1: man.
3: George Lucas called Disney white slavers. You know, he was thinking ahead of time and in the past.
4: I. I very much appreciate Kirk Douglas's mugging when uh, Nemo tells him that he's been drinking whale cum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely a high point of the film. Th- that is yeah. like one of the funnier points. When like even before the whale cum, it's just like, "What we're eating fish," <laughs> and they're just like, "That's fucking gross." I'm done.
1: <laughs> the cream is, of course, milk from the giant sperm whale, and those delicious fruits you are eating are actually preserves made from sea cucumbers.
2: Um, yeah, I like there are parts of it where like the set design like I mean throughout pretty consistently looks like pleasant and that's why I don't know it's not more unbearable to sit through at length and like obviously the performance do do a lot of heavy lifting but like I, there there are some interesting aspects of like coming like post war and James Mason sort of being like a fascist in a way and the whole like science over human life stuff but I don't know. Nothing ever really builds to anything. Mm-hmm. All of their adventures sort of just feel aimless in not a very fun way. Yeah, I don't know. It's like... But it, it was a good enough time at the movies, yeah. and that's why I'm giving it two and a half bullets. Okay, right a, down the middle. Yeah, a gentleman's two and a half is nothing to poo-poo. It's <laughs> yeah. like a respectable... like Three three bullets, three stars, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's a good movie. <laughs> this is like... As, as pretty damn close to a good movie as you can get. It's 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 fun.
0: <laughs> For not being good. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'm going to give this one two and a half bullets as well. Like I said, I was kind of interested in the beginning. I feel like it starts out strong. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I think, yeah, it's just too long, too much time in the submarine because I feel like it has this very like... Uh, samey visual style just shooting like kind of like medium wides to get everything yeah. in frame and it never really switches up from that and it really kind of slogs become of it but become uh, because of it <laughs> but I mean yeah you got Kirk Douglas you got James Mason uh, you got James Mason playing the organ before he strikes a ship or something like that there's there's enough fun stuff along the way to to keep me entertained, and yeah. I think, like you said, Ethan, it's like there's there's a good amount of like competency in here that's you know not even there in League of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, so I could I could appreciate that.
3: Damn, you didn't have to go ahead and dis Norrington before we <laughs> <would> even <get laughs> to you know?
0: Uh, <laughs> Sorry, man.
3: You know, yeah. I, the only other flight I'd seen is the Narrow Margin, which I definitely prefer to this. That in just like B movie train mode, uh, as yeah. opposed to this, you know, two plus.
4: Our
0: submarine mode he uh, he has a movie called mandingo which is very uh, oh
4: that's a yeah. freaking masterpiece
0: no yeah i'm a big fan of it and it has a yeah. real like nasty tone to it that's you know obviously absent here so mm-hmm. i i wasn't expecting really something like that while watching it but i was wondering to see if you know fleischer would bring some you know some heat to the material not exactly heat but i don't know <laughs> it was a job it was a job. I, i'd
3: like some heat Uh, I'm going to give it two and a half as well. Um, Yeah, I feel like I've said all I need to. Ethan, a rating, perhaps?
4: uh, I feel like I have to break this streak, and I'll give it three bullets. Okay,
3: okay. Uh, Thank you for taking a stance against (laughs) uh, centrism. Um,
1: (laughs) We'll be right back
3: on Extended Clip.
1: A strange twilight world opened up before me. And I felt as the first man to set foot on another planet. An intruder in this
3: mystic garden of the deep. We're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the Middle, everyone's absolute favorite segment. You know, I, I did take a poll on this, and everyone did say it was their favorite <laughs> segment. 100%.
0: <laughs> I have been hearing about this.
3: Um, Malcolm, have you watched anything noteworthy this week?
0: Yeah, you know... <sighs> You know, certain travel. There's a travel ban going. I don't know. I don't really look at the rules, but I I assume you can't travel as much. Sure, we'll say that. Yeah, and um, you know, what better? I just want to travel to Seattle, right? I'm just, I just need to go to Seattle. So, (laughs) (laughs) what if you you could? What if you know, sleepless in Seattle? That's good. But what if I watched Love at Large instead, directed by Alan Rudolph, and instead of Tom Hanks, I'm hanging out with Tom Berenger. Wow. As uh, he tries to tail uh you know a boyfriend for uh Elizabeth Perkin or no Ann Archer I don't know um but this was this was really fun it's kind of a uh, like Rudolph taking a stab at uh noir elements as he he tends to do um he's very like uh, investigative with his camera a lot of like uh sharp camera movements and like uh image like I don't know just the way the images sync with each other just kind of make it like a, a snappy watch and uh, it's, I, you know, I've never really enjoyed the stylings of Tom Beringer before, you know, watch a movie where, you know, he gets the lead, but I, I thought he was great. He kind of has like a, like a cool old man voice like this or something. I don't know. That's not that close if you, l- you actually look up his voice, but like, it's somewhat close. Don't and, worry. I'll, I'll <laughs> put a clip right after and make um, sure everyone knows. I don't know. I mean, this is not, one of Rudolph's not, you know, uh, it's one of his more or less popular films, but... You know, I had a good time with it.
2: Well, I'm not first off, I'm I don't like promoting other podcasts work on our podcast. So recently I finished a book about Motern Media and Matt Farley and Charles mm-hmm. Roxburgh by some other un, unknown entity. <laughs> <laughs> um and I that got me really itching to like go through the Matt Farley, uh, Charles Roxburgh movies that I haven't seen yet. And a while ago, I started their Druid series, mm. and so I was like, you know, that's like pretty early in their careers. Like uh, I, I might as well just like continue there and see how that treats me. And I watched uh, Matt Farley's uh, 2003 Druid Gladiator Clone. And this one was a wild one. Let me tell you, probably like the darkest I've seen them go, which still is not like all that dark, but it's like Matt Farley um, plays a character Matt Farley, who has been like passed out um, and sort of raised by Kevin McGee, who uh is like a like a druid warlord. Who teaches him how to like zap people and he like reverses teaching him <laughs> evil as good and good as bad. <laughs> and so he he's like, Oh, you have to like go around like zapping everyone. Um, and it's like they they'll say they don't like it, but they want it. And it's like it's good for them. So just just do it. And like he just goes around and he zaps people. And at first it's like, oh, I was like, Oh, is he killing these people? But they just pass out for like I don't know, like a few hours and just sort of fall asleep, which is a very funny, like, I don't know. It's such a, a minor little effect to cause, but ultimately like Farley sort of figures out like d- what he, there's like really funny scenes where he's just like reading like Nietzsche and philosophical texts and like discovering <laughs> the difference between good and evil and just <laughs> makes that shift um, and starts uh, like, there there's like really like bad but fun like laser effects from coming out of his fingers and so he just does that for good and then like people like he thinks about how he wants to make someone feel like if it's like strong he does strong and uh, just it's very weird because he's like transferring like positiveness onto people and I don't know that's sort of I felt like overall like a pretty large and like good um, sort of metaphor for like the Farley Roxburgh films I've seen in general because it's just I don't know little innocuous just just delightful movies that bring pleasure to everyone.
0: The real nice core, yeah, the really nice core.
3: Uh, Malcolm, I just wanted to say you said you hadn't really enjoyed Tom Berenger in the lead and anything. Have you not watched Major League?
0: Ah, uh, to be honest, it, uh, not in a long time. No. Honestly,
3: kind pretty much holds up and i say holds up as someone who loved it as like a nine-year-old mm-hmm. um i watched it a few years ago and it's like a solid three it's like yeah. a, it's like a good movie
0: that's how i feel about the mighty ducks movies Hmm. yeah
3: those ones have ties to some dark real life consequences well, though so yeah. <laughs> i don't know if i want any involvement
0: well that's that's it's very powerful performances because of that you that's know true. a lot of that's a lot true. of different types of energies going mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of hands in the pies, you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> to me, that's just trauma porn.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Ethan, have you watched anything noteworthy lately?
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, since we're uh, talking about a bunch of high art tonight, I uh, feel like I should uh, maybe recommend something a little off-brand so people don't think I'm a total Philistine. But uh, I, I last night watched uh, Shohei Imamura's Mamura's Profound Desires of the Gods, uh, I don't. Or is anyone here uh, familiar with Imamura's body of I've work? I've only
3: seen. Um, is it pigs and battleships? Is that what it's called?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I've seen that one and enjoyed it, but otherwise, I am completely blind to his work.
4: Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a huge fan of his, and okay. uh, I've I've I, I think he's kind of one of the filmmakers, uh, the most that DMX feeling filmmakers, Ooh, personally. Okay. Uh, And this is what I've always wanted to see, but I've, I've, I put it off for a long time because of the length, but you know, last night the opportunity presented itself and sometimes you gotta, you know, to force yourself to eat your vegetables. Mm -hmm. Though I wouldn't say this is, you know, this is not just a plain stick of broccoli. It's, you know, you put some Parmesan and grill it and everything. Uh, But uh, basically it's about uh, a kind of a corporate power from Japan is trying to uh, drill a well to uh, get uh, sugar for a sugar mill on a tropical island. Living on this island though are essentially like a a tribe of people who still kind of worship the sun and uh, live kind of primitive life uh, primitive lifestyle Uh, but then an engineer for the company has to you know be on the island and interact with them and he kind of you know uh, starts uh, getting some uh, romantic feelings for one of them and Uh, it's a, it's a very, uh, intense movie just in terms of the weather. There's a very, uh, incredible scene of a a storm on the Island that I, I, I assume had to have been shot during an actual storm. If I found out they just got a wind machine, I'm like just quitting movies period. (laughs) But, um, it's definitely, again, two hours, 53 minutes, a bit of a commitment. Mm. And it's got a lot of, uh, it's just a very hectic tone, a lot of screaming and, uh, people being aggressive and animals being eaten but i i cannot recommend it enough uh so yeah prioritize profound desires of the gods but if you haven't seen it please see uh, vengeance is mine uh the insect woman all uh, all amongst the, the ballad of narayama all amongst the heights of cinema in my opinion so profound desires of the gods stream it on criterion channel
0: I'm a big fan of the pornographers. I
4: forgot that he directed that one. Oh yeah, that's that's a yeah, it's a good film too. Um,
3: I I hate to do this, but I'm gonna have to revoke the endorsement of the Criterion (laughs) Channel on the podcast. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) or other means. Uh, aren't you in Canada too? Don't they not have it there?
4: Oh no, they've they've got it. They've got it. We don't have HBO Max or Hulu, uh, but we oh, have God.
3: Channel. Oh no. I'm so sorry you don't have HBO <laughs> Max. Uh, uh, I have it on my Roku. <laughs> uh, yeah, I
4: can I can I can't stream Mortal Kombat the day it's out in theaters. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I I don't know. I, I assume do you guys use Plex?
3: Uh no, not personally. I I would just do uh, my external hard drive plugged into my computer, and my computer plugged into my TV HDMI to whatever. Uh, my new TV is too new for my old ass computer, so I just plug my hard drive into my Blu-ray player, and it plays everything.
4: Yeah, I well, I've been using Plex, and it's been great for my my you know my whole treasure trove of torrents I've collected over the years. But it's been like just like the I don't know. I, I find it buffers after mm. like ten seconds of play, then it buffers for a minute. 10 seconds of play buffers for another minute. Like just today when I was watching 20,000 leagues under the sea, it was, I basically couldn't, I had to like watch the rest on my laptop. And I also find just plugging my laptop into my TV looks like shit. So I try to resist that.
3: Do you you have a 4k TV?
4: No, I've got like, I've got a decent widescreen TV, but it's from 2015. Huh. So I don't know. Yeah,
3: I don't know. There might be some settings you can poke around with. I don't know. We don't need to get into <laughs> a uh, yeah shooting. extended clip consumer <laughs> uh, consumer I, electronics I, corner. You know,
4: I, I don't mean I I don't mean to badmouth my TV, which I'm facing right now. I'm seeing my reflection in it. It's a great TV. It's served <laughs> me for five years. I'm not telling the TV <laughs> gods to you know push it over off and fall and break down. Please don't. I need the <laughs> entertainment, but. Uh, <laughs>
3: You watched something that was two hours and fifty-seven minutes. I'll talk about something that was two minutes and fourteen seconds. Uh, "Je vous salue, sarajevo" by Jean Luc Godard. This is maybe the twelfth time I've seen this. Uh, I usually don't log, you know, however many times I watch it when I, you know, I watch it on a loop for a little while. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I had to squeeze one in, and for our episode that we recorded next week. Uh, I talked about uh, Notre Musique and I feel like I'll just keep going on the Godard kick a little more, fill in some more blind spots, return to this absolute masterpiece of a short uh, where he's kind of reckoning with art and culture uh, in the voiceover while showing pictures uh, from Sarajevo and the Bosnian like ethnic cleansing and some of the most, uh atrocious you know uh images of that era that you could possibly think of uh but i don't know i i just always find him so like endlessly powerful and it's just like i don't know the equation of art versus culture to like resisting and surviving or reconciling with global tragedy is maybe a bit of a stretch and nothing if not Godardian. Uh, but the Im- these like terrifying images through the lens of see- someone who has seen too many images is always like going to result in something, if not profound, then at least interesting. Uh, it's basically like Histoire du Cinema in two minutes in a way. And uh, yeah, watch it on YouTube.
4: Have you ever seen the Have you ever seen the YouTube featuring Pavarotti "Miss Sarajevo" uh, music video?
3: <laughs> I have not. Uh, I, my favorite think, YouTube Pavarotti Pavarotti Lou Reed uh, "Perfect <laughs> Day." <laughs>
4: yeah, uh, but it's it's sort of similar. Maybe uh, okay. I'm sure. I, I feel like there has to be some film class somewhere that paired the two together.
3: We'll be right back on extended clip.
1: Charming decor. Oh,
0: you're missing a picture, Mister Gray you don't miss a thing do
4: you mr quarterman
0: Oh, shop times there was a flaming lips song in i think batman, batman forever for- yeah,
4: yeah yeah when the when the riddler is entering his apartment
0: yeah that caught me off guard <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh okay yeah for the godzilla soundtrack they covered heroes by david bowie
0: <laughs> that rules i that is that is funny just like i don't know covers in like movies i don't know like that seemed to be a popular thing for a minute, maybe it still is, but like the Aerosmith Beatles cover and stuff like. That. <laughs> <laughs> don't it still still Eddie's yeah. Eddie's no, talking points? But. Aerosmith is the official
2: band of extended oh, clip. I don't,
3: I don't know if we would go that far. As I get back into the producer's chair, I, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but they're up there because I don't want to miss a thing either. <laughs>
0: I like Tyler. I like his can-do, you know, high-energy attitudes. So. Did I did I tell you guys about like Stephen Tyler's Big, Tyler big Mouth? Big Mouth. No. I, I, <laughs> no. I don't think he did.
4: Is yeah. Ethan back? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm Hi, sorry. I'm on the Wikipedia page for the Rage Against the Machine song from the Godzilla soundtrack. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, cool.
3: Oh, yeah, were you guys talking about the Rage cover album Renegades? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cuz they had a whole album of covers. That was their last album, which is so sad.
1: True.
0: <laughs> We were talking about one headlight by the wall fell <laughs> Briefly.
2: Damn, I came in at the right
3: time. <laughs> All right, let's fucking go.
2: No, how did you meet, what happened with uh, Stephen Tyler?
3: Oh, I was visiting family in Boston, and we drove like two or three hours, I don't know which direction, but within New England, and went to some like county fair, and he was just there. With like probably one of his one of his children maybe I don't I don't really know I was like nine years old but um he rode one time on the Ferris wheel with my friend <laughs> and it was like he, my friend was like this is so cool uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know did I, he ask him to ride yeah on the yeah
2: yeah yeah like my <laughs> kind that is a such... weird
3: setup maybe but <laughs> it was all it was all above water. Above,
1: the, what
2: is above board Above
0: board, yeah, above water <laughs> Above water uh, 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 Bad things happen below water <laughs> <laughs> I met one of the members of Motley Crue While working on like the explosion show set I don't know which member though So I don't yeah. really listen to Motley Crue but Really? No
1: <laughs> really <laughs> uh. Ethan,
3: how do you feel about the glam metal movement <clears> The <throat> arena rock mill you i uh
4: i the restaurant i worked at once uh d snyder from twisted sister was in there nice that's, uh that's my that's my claim to rock star encounter fame <laughs> uh i mean more more exciting was at the as it was at the restaurant when abel ferrero was there but <laughs> oh wow that is awesome yeah I don't, you
3: know, I I have all these fucking Hollywood people that would go to the the sushi restaurant I worked at and the burger place, but none of them were even remotely interesting. They were all just like TV writers and shit on like (laughs) awful shows that I don't care about.
4: All the like Craig Mason types. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) They eat the sushi that's like not quite like the the elite people sushi, but you're still dropping like a (laughs) hundred bucks a meal or whatever. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty disgusting. i i hate those people a yeah. <laughs>
0: bunch of people have you blocked on twitter yeah
3: uh, <laughs> the last place i worked at the counter burger we would get an order for the writer's room of last man standing at least twice a week which was pretty awesome
2: uh, sometimes we get uh lunch orders from the connor's uh writer's room Hell i see yeah
3: that's so funny that the two like conservative sitcoms order from like the i don't ah, just finish the sentence <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, uh, just believe it yeah the just worst restaurants <laughs> anyway we're back on extended clip uh, having a little too much fun perhaps um, but we're back to talk about a movie that isn't any fun at all <laughs> the League now of Extra- <laughs> maybe i'm a little too harsh on it because looking back there is fun to be had but the league of extraordinary gentlemen is is a film by Stephen Norrington from 2003, uh, also known through promotion as LXG. Lex
2: G, the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, is, he deserves so much better than this.
3: Although his term, the sheen, definitely does apply to this. It has a very particular 2000s blockbuster dark sheen. Ethan why why this film in particular what what is uh, what's so special about this uh, doomed blockbuster this I I don't know if you can quite call it a film mod it still made a ton of money but like I guess it was doomed to be terrible.
4: Well, my my question just with this movie is who thought it was a good idea? Like
1: what <laughs>
4: studio executive what's what studio executive thought that kids twelve year old boys love Victorian no- adventure novels?
3: <laughs> uh Malcolm, when you were a twelve year old boy, any of these texts were big for you? No?
0: Uh yeah, I was a big Dorian Gray fan. I was <laughs> really about my vanity back then (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) no just for doing coverage i got uh, a concept that was similar to this but just with like famous paintings and it was like (laughs) mona lisa coming to life and like uh literally it seemed like the guy had seen like three paintings (laughs) he like named like three famous paintings and just uh, invented others which was pretty hilarious
3: honestly most of the high concept stuff i read it working doing coverage like Basically, I only could envision with a sheen that looks like this movie, kind of <laughs> like the doomed to fail blockbuster, high concept sheen for sure. Um, uh, JT, I know you were uh, you were an intellectual uh, boy. <laughs> who, who <was laughs> Thank a, you. A Eurocentric scholar at a young age. Did you take to any of these classic literary icons? Well, I
2: mean, first and foremost, this movie just made me pissed off right out the <laughs> gate because it's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but you got some fucking broad up in this team. I was livid. (laughs) Um, But no, I like, I don't, I've never read any of these novels. I mean, throughout, like, I've just been, I was like cracking up. I mean, I tweeted something about it, but I was trying to think of like, uh, funny characters from famous lit to bring in, like I think Lolita would be funny. <laughs> um, uh, Lenny from of Mice and Men. <laughs> Just like you can pull, you can you can really easily draft your own <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That would be a far interesting movie.
3: Damn, that's a fantasy draft we might need to do on Pod at some point. <laughs> Each of our fantasy <laughs> extraordinary gentlemen leagues, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think you know, you got to have the the woman in the mix, you know, so everyone's got to make a little comment being like, Oh, she's, she's looking hot today. You know, it keeps, <laughs> keeps the blood boiling. It keeps, you know, everyone yeah. on their toes.
3: Not the invisible man, but an invisible man is quite invisibly horny for her throughout this movie. Uh, speaking of female characters, though, I guess there was like talks of a female centric reboot uh, around 2014. <laughs> who'd uh, be
4: in that, like, the little women? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lolita. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think Can't we're going leaden. back to JT's uh, formula there. The, 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 tit-
4: the titular not that kind of girl. <laughs>
3: uh, but yeah, the plans were scrapped uh, after Disney acquired the property through 20th Century Fox. And I do like that ah. both of our features today can be viewed on Disney Plus, right? Or is this one a Hulu Disney
2: joint? Um, this is on... Fuck, where did I watch this? I, there, it, it was free on Amazon through the... IMDB channel with nice. ads, which is how I watched it last night. Let's, yeah, let's
3: get a
0: source check. Where'd you watch this one, Malcolm? I downloaded it, but that's how I watched uh, Mad Men recently. Was through IMDb TV with ads.
1: <laughs> nice. so. That's the way to do it, yeah, I think. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Uh, does
3: that enhance the Amazon X-ray with having the IMDb facts in there, or does it do anything <laughs> special with
0: that? <laughs> no, it's funny because you'll have the ads for IMDb TV and like what they have, and they have like nothing. Like it's like it's like we got mad and like,
3: a movie from
0: 2017. (laughs) Damn. Did
3: you go plex
0: on this one, Ethan?
4: Uh, Yeah, and it actually worked out well, though I feel bad for not paying to rent it because I want to encourage Stephen Norrington to return to directing.
3: (laughs) We do miss him. Uh, He only got to (laughs) make, what, four or five movies and, you know, uh, locked up, abolish the carceral director state, you know, get rid of those director prisons that are keeping people like Stephen Norrington locked up
4: apparently this was a very troubled production uh, apparently a big reason being that there was a lot of tension between Connery and Norrington mm. and I don't know if you've looked at pictures of Stephen Norrington but I can kind of understand not respecting him
0: <laughs> I mean the name Norrington not to I mean it kind of sounds like a nonce type of name <laughs> <Come> on, man. <laughs> It. <laughs>
4: nonce also I, 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 I go ahead I can imagine 70 year old Sean Connery too sitting down to watch Blade and not really getting it
3: <laughs> that's true I mean Connery did say he like didn't understand the screenplay when he signed up to do it uh, and then like has other quotes like he was tired of dealing with idiots after uh, this production wrapped which is part of why he never appeared in another film Ethan, did you, did you enjoy watching this movie?
4: I mean, not really, but I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I enjoyed things about it. I I actually do think like, uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea. I think the production design is actually kind of impressive at points. And I like speaking to this steampunk theme. I do think some of the steampunky details are kind of fun. Like the, uh, the steampunk machine guns are, Mm. are kind of a, a joy And I don't know about you guys, if you also have this phenomenon, I I find I really have this with movies that came out in the 2000s, where I very vividly remember the trailers, Mm -hmm. where if I'm like watching them, I can remember that scene or line being in the trailer, but I can't remember it being in the movie from when I saw it. I find this really happens with Zack Snyder and Michael Bay movies. But I had the same phenomenon with this where I could remember every single Sean Connery one-liner that was in the trailer. Uh, the three being, I'm waiting to be impressed. The game is on. <laughs> and the final one being, that was naughty. I can... Uh, I can <laughs> I can I can particularly remember seeing X-Men 2 in the theater with my dad when I was 11 years old. And after Connery saying, that was naughty, him turning to me and saying, that looks stupid. And uh, <laughs> I, think, I think his attitude uh, was the attitude of paying audiences across North America. I remember...
3: I guess the L X G marketing more than anything else. Uh, when you asked if you wanted if we could do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I kind of just like, I, I I was very disoriented c- because I forgot that it was a movie. And sometimes movies, especially movies from the two thousands like that, I don't know what it triggers in me that I don't know. It just yeah, it kind of disorients <laughs> me at first because uh, I don't know what to make of them. Like always, you know, there, there's always like the very interesting texts. I just read the Jay Hoberman film after film book, which is really interesting, uh, it, which is a really interesting look at that era of cinema. But no matter how much I read or watch, I'm always shocked by like what kind of blockbusters or just what kind of studio movies we were making at that time. Uh, and this is definitely no exception. Very strange movie.
0: <laughs> also, as someone like who, I just checked my letterbox, the only other Sean Connery movie I've seen besides this one is like Indiana Jones 3. So it's like, as someone who's not really familiar with the Connery charisma, although I feel like I kind of, I think I kind of get it. Yeah, but, through uh,
3: memes. You yeah, know him through memes more than movies yeah, perhaps. Yeah,
0: certain interviews and stuff. Sure. But um, yeah, uh, it, it it's uh <laughs> it's just kind of perplexing. I mean, you know, I like a good, good star power in yeah. a blockbuster and- you know, maybe besides Connery, there isn't much of that here. Not no. at all.
1: It's
2: so <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> like, that, like, I mean, I watched this when I was younger as well. Like, uh, a, it, when I was getting into movies, I, Sean Connery was a big key figure to me, mostly because of just the, he takes on, he's larger than life. Yeah. He, like, his persona is more important than any of the film roles. I'm not crazy about his acting, but, like, the man himself, of course, yeah. mm-hmm. but he is just the only n- notable name in this, and you can feel that throughout the entire movie, <laughs> just like the well, most replaceable uh, white people.
4: What I I found particularly funny, and what I forgot about this movie is how well Tom Soy I, I should mention I actually read the first volume of the graphic novels just to be a little extra prepared for this. Oh wow, Tom's. So- I mean. Tom Sawyer and Dorian Gray are the additions to the team, not in the, uh, the comics, but it's sort of, I forgot about this movie that it's actually basically an old guy, young guy, buddy picture for, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of it between Tom's him and Tom Sawyer, who I think is established as a CIA agent and uh uh,
3: secret service so he protects the president (laughs) and
4: this was this was the same summer i don't know if you remember as hollywood homicide which paired uh harrison ford and josh hartnett so i feel like the the old guy young guy buddy picture was it was just a thing in the air at the time i can't quite uh i can't think of any other examples other than those (laughs) two from the summer of 2003 but yeah, you're right. Like St- Stuart Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people?
0: That is the main question yeah. that this movie poses. I feel like the Tom Sawyer performance stuck out to me the most. I guess m- mostly because they do give it a little more time with like the Sean Connery relationship, but like it's a pretty bad acting performance. It kind of reminds me of like like it's it seems like some like gay porno acting to be wow. honest like, wow. <laughs> like 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 i don't know wow. just it seems it it's seems a like bold the,
3: accusation
0: <laughs> it just seems like at, at any moment that's you know that's just what's gonna happen he's gonna take his shirt off or something i don't know maybe 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 i'm interpreting this in a different way yeah, than I, don't know. Other I, I don't know how
3: in, i don't know how informed that statement really is or you know but there's no real i don't know
0: eddie if you just want to call me gay go out and say it don't be afraid
3: <laughs> so m or the phantom uh as we find out at the halfway point uh is both the uh antagonist of the film and the one who bands together this league of extraordinary gentlemen uh in a classic twist uh, so you have quarter so what is quarter mean
0: from no idea.
4: He is uh, the uh, the the city of lost G- King Solomon's mines. King Solomon's mines. That's that's it.
0: Okay. There there, then, uh, there were
4: yeah. a, there, there were actually two Alan Quartermain films made by Canon in the eighties hmm. that I think were like relatively successful. But yeah, I don't think I don't think nostalgia for them was high enough. By 2003, that people would really uh, have Alan Quartermain fever.
0: I've never heard of that book, and also I never heard of this movie until you brought it to the <laughs> table. <really>? So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Just a side note, but yeah, yeah. not a quarter, not familiar with the Quartermain. <laughs> Kush got
3: me feeling like Quartermain. Um, <laughs> So they go to Kenya to find Quartermain, who's out there uh, just winning the respect of African people with how good he is at hunting, I guess. And uh, they also pick up, let's see, uh, Captain Nemo, Dorian Gray, uh, Tom Sawyer, who is uh, a Secret Service agent, uh, an invisible man.
4: Lady Dracula yeah you know
3: she's pretty uh hot right <laughs>
0: oh yeah uh oh, i take God. a bite
3: i i think it does make me uncomfortable because it's like at the time of my coming of age i guess i was born in 94 so i was like nine years old and like movie sexuality uh of movies of this age still makes me uncomfortable kind interesting. of interesting <laughs> Maybe that's a little too revealing and all yeah, no. L-
0: leave it in. <laughs> that's Freud So no. when she was flirting with Dorian Gray or something I just found like,
3: it like la- no I just <laughs> found it laughable pretty okay. much but uh it, it the idea of it still makes me kind of uncomfortable though I, it makes me uncomfortable beneath the uh, ironic shield of laughter you know? yeah, yeah
0: yeah it's that's yeah it's just like like you said it's a shield.
4: They kind of set up a virgin Chad dynamic With Tom Sawyer and Dorian Gray At one point it's Where true. they're both uh, tr- trying to win the affection Of Lady Dracula But uh, And you know to- Alan Quartermain's kind of like giving him advice On how to you know
0: I liked how when she saw uh, Tom Sawyer Tom Sawyer with the gunplay You could see she was, you know, erotically impressed. Yeah, exactly. So that's the
3: second movie in a row we've watched for the pod that has women erotically (laughs) impressed with gunplay after Ega. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Uh, Very similar.
3: Very similar there.
4: I should mention, I mean, I I mentioned I I read the the first at least volume of the graphic novels. And kind of the big difference, and I think it should be mentioned, this is uh, based off an Alan Moore graphic novel. Mm. And his whole thing is uh, disowning any adaptation of his work which he, of course, did with this. And I think he was right to do it with this because essentially the graphic novel, at least the one I read, it's almost like a Starship Troopers-like kind of satire of Victorian-era colonialism, where basically every all these characters are gathered to work together for the, the British Empire and for a bad purpose. And I feel like kind of almost Alan Quatermain's arc in this movie is falling in love again with the British empire. And I feel like this is sort of the last, maybe the last moment of time you could have done like something. That's just a sort of straight faced colonial narrative. Um, My name is Sanderson Reed. I'm a representative
3: of her majesty's British government. The empire needs you. But the question is, do I need the empire?
2: The fact that it's like, very British heavy was also another thing that felt weird about like marketing this to large audiences that in in terms of like how well they like introduce the characters and like there's a sense of implied like familiarity Mm -hmm. I feel like more often than not it's just it occupies such a weird fucking space where it's like there is sort of the classic like superhero movie like exposition where it's like oh they're like you're coming in the team and then we get to see your power but like i I don't know there's a lot of like implied that oh you you know dr jekyll and mr hyde your favorite characters
0: (laughs) well they're here too you know um let's speak on the colonial themes like i definitely picked up on them you know, especially towards the end, but at, at the same time, I, f- I had a lot of trouble like tracking what exactly was going on in this movie and like what's <laughs> the threat or whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I just wasn't paying attention as closely as I should. But well,
3: like, it do- it is a film that invites the zone out. That is to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the betrayals around the halfway point at the, the Venice set piece kind of set everything up for the end where, you know, Dorian Gray and M uh, are – or the Phantom are working against them and – um you know, I don't know. It's it's For kind what? of all pointless uh, to, you know, blow up the city and start a world war or whatever. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, then you get a nice, like, father-son type moment between, uh, I almost called him Kelsey Grammer, <laughs> Sean Connery, and uh, Tom Sawyer at the end, uh, where he does teach him to go Chris Kyle mode and, you know, take into account all the elements when he's sniping. I don't know, it kind of did just kind of wash over me. And as I said, the action scenes definitely invited the zone out for me, just kind of a sludge. I know that's kind of an overused term to describe CG action, uh, but I I will agree that some of the production design is pretty interesting. Uh, Not a particularly nice movie to look at in general, though.
4: Has anyone here seen Van Helsing? no no part of it on TV yeah. back in the day but no <laughs> okay well first first off you're missing out Okay. second this is also this is like str- like almost bafflingly similar to that movie in terms of that they literally have the same actor as the villain and they have the same basically the, the Jekyll and Hyde para sequence in this is exactly the same as the one that's near the beginning of Van Helsing. And the climax of this, which is the the Dr. Jekyll monster fighting the the bigger version of himself, essentially, is exactly the same as the climax of Van Helsing. So <laughs> I feel like this is also, speaking to this whole weird steampunk thing being in the air, I just feel like even at this point in time, culture was just basically this big recycling bin <laughs> of stuff. Oh, yeah.
3: Malcolm, Yeah, you have the first pick in the Extraordinary
0: Gentleman League draft. Okay. Um, Are we limiting take? it
2: to literature? No. Okay. Oh.
0: I thought we had to pick characters from the movie. I was like, okay. No. Oh, God, it. no. I'd <laughs> have to pull up the fucking
2: IMDB. <laughs> Give it's me this the first pick.
0: the trick. moment. <sighs> I know. Has to be in a book, too? No. Okay. No, right. <laughs> any character ever. Any char- this is
3: your team of just extraordinary gentlemen. <laughs> any character ever.
0: Wow. Um... I'm I gonna go. Have I'm going go. <laughs> roster. Hamburglar.
2: Hamburglar. <laughs> <laughs> A powerful thief. JT, you have the second pick in the draft. Okay, uh, we need some brains, so I'm gonna say Frazier.
3: Fraser okay, now that is a gentleman. That is a gentleman if I've ever seen one. I'm, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to take someone who knows Frasier better than anyone else in my third pick of the draft, Kelsey Grammer. Wow. <laughs> uh, Ethan, if you'd like to partake, you have the fourth and fifth picks uh, in fourth draft. F. Well, because we're doing a snake-style draft, if you're familiar <laughs> I with see. Uh, sports drafts.
4: Um, okay, I'll I'll take uh, Ebert and Roper as my fourth and fifth pick. Oh, is, <laughs> what a selection! What
3: a selection. Um, for my second pick in the uh, extraordinary Gentleman draft, I am going to go with Maurice Chevalier. Uh, what about you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> JT? What for your second um, pick?
2: Hold on, let me think here for a second.
3: The draft clock is taking. I, I know, I know. I just We're want at to, eight.
2: Um, Seven. Okay. Uh, let's, let's go, Bullworth.
3: Okay. Throw him in there. You're going Bullworth mode. Okay.
0: I'm going a uh, Cole from We Are Your Friends.
3: Wow, that is that is Zac character. Strong, such a strong <laughs> pick, representing the San Fernando Valley better than I could ever ask you to so that's Uh, it oh yeah uh, yeah yeah, we get two picks each that's our that's each of our teams because we're the third one on each of our teams yeah uh and i uh what about bullet ratings on this one i'm i'm shooting this one once in the face and i hope i never have to watch it again one bullet
0: i'm gonna go one and a half bullets you know mercy half bullet just because i don't know it's it's bad but it's like it's not atrocious i guess or something Mm -hmm. and um you know, I feel like a lot of, uh, like, old man, young man type action movies, they always kind of uh, rely on the concept of a swag versus class. Mm. Do you have swag? Do you unload the clip when you shoot? Do you, you know, 30 round drum, unloaded, no aim? Or, or do you have class? One bullet, one shot, one kill. And, uh, you know, of course, with a lot of these movies, they air on the side of a class, class over swag. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm a swag man myself. I prefer swag, mm. so that's kind of my my big problem with these type of movies. I feel like The Kingsman is like a very. Uh Swag versus class action movie. Any anyone where like mm. uh, action characters are like dressing nice or just like I don't know.
3: Yeah, I don't know. All these class reductionists are completely ignoring the virtues of swag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, working class. <laughs> yeah. <swag. laughs> I'm, a, I'm a swag reductionist. <laughs> <It's still, yeah. laughs> so yeah. that's
2: my
0: thoughts on on the movie. And what
2: just about, okay. culture at large.
3: Yeah, okay, yeah. What about you, JT?
2: Um, I'm going uh, one and a half bullet. Uh, alongside malcolm like i don't know that half is generous like i don't know it's (laughs) it's a bad movie it looks very ugly it has an (laughs) unappealing like uh gloss over it but it is like an interesting like i'm glad ethan brought this to a table to the table because it is like an interesting cultural artifact to examine yeah like
3: i'm never mad that i watched a movie even a 0.5 maybe a 0.5 star that's the kind where i regret watching it but even a one-star movie i'm happy i watched it i'm just adding knowledges (laughs) (laughs) knowledges. (laughs) i would not say i'm happy i watched this but you know it's 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 all it's all good (laughs) what about you ethan
4: uh zero bullets no just kidding just kidding uh Uh, well, you know what? I think if, you know, the dark universe had ever built up to its own Avengers, uh, it probably would have been the same movie as this. So (laughs) I'll give it a, I'll give it two bullets generously. (laughs) Nice.
3: Uh, all right. Well, we don't want to keep you much longer. So I think that is going to do it. You can always reach out to us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com or at extendedclip 69 on Twitter. Anything that you boys want to? talk about that you do online
0: um i don't do anything (laughs) online i only
2: keep the details of what i do online private no
3: ethan thank you so much for coming on the pod uh is there anything that you would like to plug shout out have the people track you down online
4: uh, well, I just want to plug. You know, following COVID safety guidelines. I, uh, you know, we're we're all in this together. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at at Ethan Vess. Um, yeah, I might. You know, I'm I'm there. I'm tweeting, being a public intellectual, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. But uh, you know, I might have stuff cooking. Who knows? Uh, don't. But you know, don't. Should I uh, not unsubscribe
3: be- from? these boys are good boys is the RSS feed gonna come alive again (laughs) someday soon
4: yeah yeah, you never know okay okay I'll keep
3: my RSS feed alive (laughs) Um, yeah yeah, you never know next week on the pod oh yeah we already recorded it yeah next week on the pod (laughs) I was like damn do we have to figure something out for next week Uh, (laughs) next week on the pod Rob Franco is joining us for our very Jewish Christmas special Uh, everyone's favorite Christmas movie, Eyes Wide Shut, and everyone's favorite chosen auteur, Woody Allen's Purple Rose of Cairo. Very fun episode. And he also joined us for two Patreon episodes on The Godfather 1 and 2 and The Godfather 3. So uh, those will be very fun. And uh, Yeah, Yeah,
2: I hope you like Robert Franco because you're going to hear a lot of him.
3: Yeah, if you're one of those people that's like, I hate that toxic film bro energy that he brings
0: to the podcast well eh, you hope know. you like hope you like woody allen <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all i gotta say hope you like him
3: you <laughs> what's your favorite woody allen movie
4: uh yeah top of my head husbands and wives okay goodbye it's
2: about marriage
4: jack and i are splitting up
2: don't make a big deal out of it okay because we're both fine
4: you think we'd ever break up no, i'm not planning
2: it are you it's about divorce
4: you're
1: great till you
4: start to show your age then they want a newer model
2: and what happens in between who's this
1: who's this this is this is my husband it's none of your business please, none of my please.
2: Best. husbands and wives rated r